Alright, welcome back to Formate Arbitration, and I have got the worst cold in history, so y'all have to bear with me today. I've been fighting this sucker, we've been in a fight for about three or four days, and it's winning. But uh, we're going to keep fighting it, so you're going to have to forgive me today, we're going to get through this one, uh, but it is me, I know my voice is probably a little bit different, but I've, I've been fighting this bad boy for a while. Uh, today we're going to get into several different topics, things that have come into me. Next week I'm going to do an extensive episode on letter carrier paragraph. Uh, that'll be next week. You won't have any questions about the letter carrier paragraph ever again after next Sunday. I promise you. We're going to cover letter carrier paragraph as well as it can be covered. All right. But today I'm going to cover several different topics uh, things that have come into me. I told you I had enough for about eight or nine months worth. I've got to start getting through these things. So we're going to deal probably a little salted peanuts type thing, okay? If that's all right with y'all. Uh, so back to education, <laughs> right? Uh, I had a, a friend of mine reach out uh, last week. It's probably Monday. He said, hey, man, listen to the episode. He said, you know, you need to get back to training, because people are going to uh, get disinterested in uh, you harping on the NALC all the time. You need to get back to training. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that to a degree. Like I said, when I started this, it's all about training. The more I've gotten into it, it's kind of taken on a, a little life of its own. Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to find a, a happy median as far as talking to y'all about things that are on my heart, things that y'all come to me with. And educating, and uh, I hate that it's come to that, but uh, I, that's how I'm going to do things. You know, I don't want to lose any listeners, obviously, and I'm going to teach as much as I can teach, give y'all as much as I know, and uh, hope that it helps. But uh, I will, I will continue to be a voice for those that reach out to me. I just am. I am not here. On behalf of the NELC. I'm not doing this this podcast on behalf of the NELC. Now, some NELC people asked me to do it. But I'm not affiliated or associated or anything other aided for the NELC. Matter of fact, most of them do not want me to do this. They hate me doing this. So I'm not affiliated in any way with the NELC doing this podcast. Okay? I'm not here on behalf of the NELC. I'm here on behalf of the city letter carrier, period. Uh, and that's how this, this podcast is going to be. Uh, matter of fact, the NELC kicked me out of the national convention because of this podcast. Now, they can say whatever they want to say. That's the reason I was kicked out. So that's how much they support this podcast, me educating. They kicked me out of the national convention. My business agent has blackballed me from doing arbitrations, has blackballed me from doing any training. Uh, I've done training at our regional training for 10, 11 years now, and I've been blackballed from that. So they are not happy with me doing this podcast. Okay, so uh, to my friend, I respect your opinion. I do agree. I need to get back to, to educating. That's what it's all about. But uh, I will talk about things that y'all come to me with. I will do that. Uh, in spite of those who don't like me. Uh, I, have, 
I have been called many things over the years. Uh, son of a bitch, asshole, all that. <laughs> and uh, I'm not changing for anybody. I've said this from the beginning. My heart, my love is for the city letter carrier. Plain and simple. I have lost a lot working for the NELC. A lot of money uh, when you travel, when you do things, you know. Uh, you lose a lot. You don't, you don't make a whole lot down here at this level. Now, when you get up, you know, in the upper levels, you make good money. But down here, anybody can tell you, an advocate, you're going to lose money. Uh, Formal A, you're going to lose money because more than likely you're working up there eight hours. If you're on the ODL, you're just lost that. You're not going to get it. Okay. So, uh, and now being blackballed, being kicked out of the national convention for trying to educate, um, that's just part of it. You know, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Uh, like I said, they can kiss my ass all day long. Uh, I'm not stopping. So to my friend, I love you, brother. I respect the hell out of you. And I agree to an extent. Uh, there has to be a happy median. I can't every week do this, you know, rant about things. Uh, you know, is it six, one, is it eight to one? Is it nine to one, nine training, one raising hell? You know, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I'm new to this. So, um, but when, when things come up to me, I'm going to address them. Uh, I had a gentleman reach out to me the other day and this is what he said. And this is sad. He said, Hey, Corey, this is so-and-so from this city and state. If you guys are going to be doing any training classes in the Nashville area for any branch officer positions to include stewards, would you please let us know? We have almost 70 to 80% of our members listening to your podcast religiously, and we have basically all new officers except for myself. I retire in a few years, and I want to get them the best training I can, and I don't think that's going to come from our NBA office. Thanks, brother. That's an actual message I got. That's um, uh, that's a message I constantly get about training, about the NBA not training. That's the reason they hate me. That's the reason they don't like me. Is because of that. Is uh, here's another thing, and this is wild as hell. Here, this one here got me. Uh, on from eight arbitration, the Facebook page, Lindsay put up some training from different areas, different regions. Okay. And a lot of people that listen to the podcast reached out to me and said, Hey, do you know if there's any way we can get in on that, the training that that region is doing, you know, it's basic training, you know, is there any way we can get in on it? Let me check. So I email, there's a, there's a link on there to email if you want to get in on the training. And I said, uh, hey, this is Corey Walton. I have a small podcast uh, dealing with training and things. I've had a few people reach out that would like to get in on your training, would like to watch it. Uh, and they say, we'll get back to you. I said, thank you. They get back to me. Uh, our business agent has said that it's for this region only. So if you're outside the region... You can't get in on it. I said, that's fine. I'll train them myself. And if anybody doubts that, I'll put that up. If anybody says Corey's making shit up, I'll put that up and show you. 
that that's what they said. The business agent said it's for our region only. And you wonder why. You wonder why I get blackballed. Because I'm coast to coast. I'm training people about Article 16, about different things. Going to have some good training here today. That's the reason I get upset. Is that if, if you have people that will not get training anywhere else, and they're asking you, can we please sit in and, and listen to you train on Article 16, on Article 8? If it's procedural things, I get that. If it's how y'all handle the informal A meeting or the formal A meeting, I get that because a lot of regions do it different. But Article 16, how fucking different can you do that? If it's Article 8, how different can you do that? People are reaching out for help. And we have NBA saying, fuck yourself, go on somewhere else. We're not going to train you. We're not going to help you. You sit there and squalor. You know, it, look, that's the reason I do this. And that's the reason I'm blackballed. This is the reason I'm kicked out of national conventions. It's because I am not saying, y'all fend for yourself. Here's you some scraps. I'm not going to do that. I will never do that. I'm in this for the long haul. They cannot call me and say, please stop. Because I'll tell them where to shove it. My business agent hates this podcast. Hates it. And so he's blackballed me. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. Seriously. So, I, you know. But I am going to get, I'm not going to do it as much. I, I get that. That it's about training and stuff. So I understand that. And and I don't want to run people off. I promise you. So I, I need to just find that happy median, but so many things come up just like this email, this guy sent me about, you know, we're not going to get the training from NBA. That pisses me off. <laughs> it does. And I know that I'm an asshole. I know that. I know that I'm a son of a bitch. I, I get that. I'll be that. I'll be that. Okay. I had, this is funny. (laughs) I had an arbitration and I pulled it up because it's been so long ago. It was in 2013. It was here in Nashville and it was in front of arbitrator Lawrence Robertson at C number 30699, 30699 A and B. It was an emergency placement and removal. And uh, I was thinking about this during the week (laughs) about, you know, I always bullet point what I'm going to talk about. And this arbitration popped up into my mind because of something that happened in it. But management had removed this lady saying that she was under the influence at work. And what it was, was this, this carrier and the manager were used to be best friends and they would go out together, them and their husbands. Well, the, the one individual started sleeping with the other one's husband and, and it broke them up. Obviously it was an ugly case. And so they go out and, uh, the manager and supervisor go out to this care after the fact on the route and, and they go up to her and they set her up and they tell her that, you know, they, they're talking to her. It's midsummer. So she's squinting when she's talking to them because they drive up, she's squinting. So they're say, they say, She's under the influence. She's squinting. Uh, she looked discombobulated. They completely make this up. It's a complete lie. Okay? <clears throat> and so in the arbitration, I tell the arbitrator, I said, this, you're fixing to, 
We're fixing to take you to a soap opera, Mr. Arbitrator. We're going to take you to the Daily Soaps today. I said, it's going to be a good episode, too. I said, you're going to like it. I said, it's got everything uh, that a Daily Soap opera would have. I said, uh, it's going to be thoroughly entertaining. I said, the only problem is, is that this young lady lost her livelihood because of it. And I said, we're here to right a wrong today. And uh, so he wrote that down in his decision when they always talk about the union's position and um, management position. He writes that, um, he said, union's position. He said, it is the opinion of the union that just cause does not exist in this instant case. The events, according to the union, have all the ingredients for a lifetime movie or the daily soaps. <laughs> That's what I told him in my opening. Uh, and so just kept on going with different other things. And in the hearing, management, it has in here, the arbitrator notes it down. She's been, the, the manager is being questioned by, by the labor, okay? And he writes it down verbatim. Now, labor is leading this manager the entire time that all the questions are leading, which normally you would object to that. If you're an, if you're an advocate, you would object to it. However, sometimes they will lead management into their own trap. So you have to be careful when you object. So in this one, I did not object. I let her lead her. <laughs> and so at the end of it, it was extremely comical, but here's what he writes down in, um, on page 14 of 20. He said, after hearing and carefully considering all of the evidence and testimony in this matter, it was the following verbatim from the employer's witnesses, the 204B and the manager, customer service, that became controlling, albeit paramount, in both these matters. And then he has their, the advocate and the witnesses, advocate. So when you walked up to her, what did you notice? Witness. Actually, she came to our vehicle. Just noticed that her eyes were glassy, um, a runny nose. I think we even asked her if she was okay. She was talking slow. They were kind of slurred. Advocate, so were her eyes bloodshot? That's leading. Witness, yeah, they were glassy. Yeah, they were just barely, you know, could hold them up. And advocate, so um, when you observed her, her behavior and her actions and her appearance, did you contact anyone? That's leading. Witness, yes, I contacted the postmaster's office and spoke with the postmaster, Cole, and Mike Vaughn and advised them of the situation, and they told me they would get back with me. Advocate, and you went ahead and proceeded back to the office? That's leading. <laughs> Witness, yes, that is correct. And the manager customer service, who was accompanying the 204B during the route observation, provided the following. So here's, that was the 204B, now here's the manager. Advocate. You went back to the route? That's leading. <laughs> Witness, yeah. I would say approximately 1.30. Advocate, so your observation of Miss Munger at that time, how did she appear to you? Witness, she appeared to be under some kind of influence. Advocate, so were her eyes opened, closed, eh? Witness, she was squinting, blinking. Advocate, and did you ask her if she was okay? Witness, uh-huh. Advocate, do you remember what prompted you to ask if she was okay? Witness, um, when she was walking towards me and she was swaying a little bit and went to retrieve a package. Advocate, as a manager, do you have to make sure your employees are safe? Witness, yes. Advocate, so then after that, then what did you do? Did you go back to your office or what? 
<laughs> That's leading. Witness, um, Katrina started pulling away and she started going down the street. And I said, you know what? I guess it was only a couple of minutes. And I said, you know, you need to probably go back and see if she's okay. Advocate. So you all talked to Steve Cole and Mike Vaughn when you got back to the office? Witness. Yeah, they needed to give approval. And so the arbitrator says, as previously mentioned, the parties were at odds in this matter when considering facts, circumstances, and respective arguments. And granted, there is a difference in the required evidence between an emergency placement and notice removal. However, the testimony cited above from two witnesses proves fatal to the employer's case in both instances. The evidence unveiled during testimony failed in meeting a basic common sense standard. <laughs> the fact that two supervisors would abandon a letter carrier who both believed was under some form of influence doesn't make sense. The credibility of any documented evidence or verbal testimony sometimes becomes a matter of common sense. And there are times when crucial testimony falls short of meeting a standard as low as simple logic. The testimony cited above failed to meet that parameter, <laughs> and that is what convinced me the employer's case in chief lacked any merit. He goes on, it just didn't make sense to me that anyone, yet alone an acting supervisor and a manager, customer service would immediately exit such a situation collectively. Both testified they believed the agreement was under some sort of influence, yet collectively both decided to leave the agreement in that alleged state unattended and simply returned to the office, seeking further instruction as to what to do. Says the conversation consisted more, more than simply a mere, we'll get back to you on this, yet most significant, albeit paramount, was the fact that both supervisors then went ahead and proceeded back to the office, and the manager customer service stated during cross-examination that she was directly responsible for the safety of her employees. He said, what was clear and convincing to me was that something else prompted the service in this action. It was clear to the undersigned the employer's version of the events didn't meet the common sense standard. That is one of the basic elements used by any arbitrator to determine whether or not there was just cause to support the disciplinary action imposed. <laughs> and the reason I read that while I'm talking about uh, what I was talking about earlier is when they were leading the witness, labor was leading the witness, I have a real relaxed posture when I'm in arbitration matter of fact I kind of lean back in my chair and I'll have like a pen in my mouth I always look at the ceiling it's crazy I know that people are thinking what is he doing but I look at the ceiling when when they're being cross-examined <laughs> and I'm kind of sl slouched in my chair and because uh, I'm listening I'm listening I don't want anything to distract me so I'm listening I don't like for TAs to distract me witnesses to distract me I'm listening. So they're leading, right? And so I've just got my pen in my mouth. And when they finish questioning, the arbitrator, you know, Mr. Walton, I'll sit there for a couple of seconds and uh, just to be a smart ass about it. And I, I remember in this one specifically, and Dave Clark, my president, was in there with me. I said, management, my friend across the table, has just led you the entire time. And normally I would object to that. I said, but I'm going to repeat to you what was just said. And I want you to tell me if it's accurate. So I repeat the questioning and answers. I said, is that accurate? Yes, it is. I said, did that make any sense to you? 
what I just read to you? And the arbitrator starts laughing. So she's looking at me. I said, did that make any sense to you? What I just read to you? I said, as somebody that just take yourself away from, from being the manager. I said, did that make any sense? And uh, she's like, yeah. I said, really? <laughs> I said, because it don't make any sense to me. I said, so you're telling me that somebody you thought was under the influence, you great, great testimony. Eyes are squinting, blinking, eyes are bloodshot. She's swaying back and forth. She's slurring her words. She was so much under the influence that you just left her out there to deliver mail. <laughs> I said, are you responsible for making sure that, that all the carriers are safe? I said, is that under your charge? Yes, it is. I said, would that be under Article 14? Yes. I said, okay. And do you think you did that by leaving somebody who was so under the influence they required to be removed from the Postal Service, you just left them out there to fend for themselves? And she, I remember she just looked at me, and she refused to answer that question. She never did answer it. I said, I'm going to need an answer. She just kept looking. I said, Mr. Arbitrator... I said, I need an answer because I am extremely curious how an individual that's in charge of other employees, their safety, would leave somebody out on the street in a vehicle under the influence. I said, I need an answer to that. She left. The arbitrator said, I don't think she's going to answer it. I said, I don't either. <clears throat> so when she's finished, she gets up and she's walking out. She's walking out. She slams the door open. The door is closing on its own, you know. She's walking down. I guess somebody asked her how it went because they're all sitting outside. She said, I hate that son of a bitch. <laughs> Just as loud. I mean, <laughs> so I'm laughing, you know, and Dave's laughing. Arbitrator Roberts is laughing. <clears throat> so. I put my hand over my chest like I'm just appalled. <laughs> and I said, Dave, I said, do you think I'm a son of a bitch? <laughs> he says, no, bud, I don't think you are. I said, good. I said, dog gone. <laughs> and uh, Dorothea Chapman was labor's advocate. She was over there. I said, Miss Chapman, what, Corey? <laughs> I said, do you think I'm a son of a bitch? <laughs> She said, you can be, and Arbitrator Roberts is laughing, you know. So I said, man, that hurt my feelings. So anyway, all of that to say, I know I'm a son of a bitch. I know I'm an asshole, and I'm an asshole to anybody, friend or foe, if they're not protecting letter carriers or looking out for letter carriers. I know that. So I can be blackballed. I can be kicked out of things. I don't give a shit. Because I'm here for letter carriers, only city letter carriers. <laughs> so y'all can do whatever y'all want to with me, okay? I can be kicked out of every national convention from here to eternity. You know what I'm going to do when I get back? Get on this podcast and educate my people. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do because I'm a son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm an asshole and I don't care. <laughs> I love it. So you can blackball me from training, from doing arbitrations, and you can shove that up your ass too because I'm not going to stop. All right. I'm not going to stop educating because you see what happens. You have people saying, Can, is there any training out of Nashville? Because our region won't do any. When I reach out to other regions, hey, I've got people reaching out that want to just basic training. 
of Article 8, Article 16, or whatever you're doing, just basic things in training. No, we have nothing for them. Tell them to go to their region. Well, they're coming to y'all because their region's not doing anything. We ain't got nothing for you. That's our union. That's what our union is doing. Okay, so that's why I get pissed off and get on here and rant a little bit is because my union is failing the city letter carrier and I'm being blackballed for trying to educate them. Isn't that crazy? Is that crazy to y'all? That's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a son of a bitch. I hate that son of a bitch. <laughs> I know I am. I know it and I ain't going to change. All right. Let's get into some things. These are things that have come up during the week. Here's something that somebody put out, and I talked about this in an earlier episode, but I'm going to address it again. And uh, it was put up on Facebook. And it says, what's your experience? And this is, they're asking anybody. What's your experience with stationary events? We have a new supervisor that has called me into the office two days in a row. Seven stationary events both days. They are either at my apartment complexes or business loops. I'm getting conflicting definitions of what a stationary event is. My scanner was on me at all times, and the times listed were roughly the entire time I was there. Help. Okay, I'm going to help you. Don't ever go into a manager or supervisor's office and answer questions about stationary events, first off, without your shop steward present. Don't ever do that. Okay? Uh, you'll get discipline. 100% of the time, if you go in there and say anything to management, you're going to get disciplined. And you're not going to have your shop steward in there to tell you, don't answer that. Okay? Look, they cannot discipline you for stationary events if you say, don't know what you're talking about. Have no idea what you're talking about. Well, it shows here. I've talked about this all the time. What shows? Your scanner. Oh, well. I don't know what to tell you, but I wasn't stationary. That's the only answer I'm given, okay? That's the only answer I'm giving in that situation. Do not ever, ever go into the office by yourself and answer questions about stationary events. Don't do it, okay? Make sure if they call you into the office, you take a shop store with you. If they tell you that, Hey, we're just asking a few questions. You don't need your shop steward. Take your shop steward with you. If they tell you you don't need one, refuse to go. Okay? We got to get a backbone as a letter carrier craft. All right? Got to get a backbone. If they say you don't need your shop steward, I'm not going. I'm not going in there. It's an official discussion. Okay, then there shouldn't be any questions asked then. So let's go have an official discussion. If you want to talk to me and give me an official discussion saying, Stationary events are such and such. They can lead to discipline. Be careful with stationary events. Okay, you can say that. But once you ask me specifically an address, you're stationary this amount of time here. Why? That's an investigation. Okay? You're being investigated. Do not entertain that ever. Make sure you have a shop steward present. So to this individual, don't go back there anymore without a shop steward present. Shop stewards, before they go back there, talk to them and say, if they're asking you about stationary events, don't answer the question with a, oh, I was, you know, 
looking at Facebook. I was doing that. I'm going to say I don't remember that at all. I don't recall being stationary at all. Well, right here is 20 minutes stationary. I don't recall that. I don't remember that. And then the shop steward's going to address it if anything happens. He's going to say, how did you know that? She's going to say, how did you come about that? And they're going to say, through the scanner data. <laughs> and once that happens, everything else is irrelevant. Okay? Everything else is irrelevant. Management is attempting to still is attempting to use GPS data to discipline us based on these new memos, 1982, 83, 84. They are still doing that. We still see that. They're saying that the union has agreed that scanner data can be used against us, which is completely untrue. So make sure anybody and everybody that's listening, do not entertain those questions from management without a shop steward present either at your case or in the office. If they're bringing around lists saying, you had seven stationary events, why? I need my shop steward. Well, I'm just asking you. Okay, I'm just asking you for a shop steward. You don't need a shop steward. Then you don't need to ask me questions. I Look, I just need to give management up above me a reason. We'll make up some shit. I'm not answering the question. I'm not answering it. They will always say, management, you know, upper management's killing me on these stationary events, you know. Just make up something. You go make up something. I'm not answering that question without a shop steward present. Shop stewards protect your people. Tell them in the, in, in the investigation that you're fixing to go into. Tell them, I don't remember. I don't recall. I don't think that happened. Okay? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's right here. I'm sorry. All I was doing was delivering mail all day, so I don't know what you're talking about. That's all you got to say. I was just delivering mail all day, so I, I have no idea. You know, if you've got a 4584 street observation form, maybe you can show me, but, you know, besides that, I can't help you. I, I'm not going to walk into the noose myself and hang myself. That's what they're wanting. That's exactly what they're wanting. Okay. So with that, make sure, make sure that we're not answering questions on the working floor in the office without a steward present. Y'all aren't hearing this. I'm editing all this out, but man, I'm coughing like crazy. So it's going to be chopped up on this episode. I've drank three glasses of tea already in 30 minutes. Here's another thing. All right. That came out. Anything written in the contract regarding load truck times? Our temp PM keeps saying the union agreed to a 22-minute load time, and it's in the contract. Sounds fishy to me. I'm going to read that again. Anything written in the contract regarding load truck times? Our temp PM keeps saying the union agreed to a 22-minute load time, and it's in the contract. Sounds fishy to me. Here's another one. We are now threatened to get written up for load time and we are supposed to load and hurry out of geofence, which is office property, 80% of office not making their geofence times. Okay. We have people talking about load times, threatened with discipline about load times and getting out of a geofence, which is uh, office property, a geofence. 
Let's talk about this a second. If management's on the workroom floor threatening discipline of any kind, file a grievance on that. If management's on the workroom floor threatening gr- discipline, file a grievance on that under Section 115.4 of the M39 Handbook, Mutual Respect. You're not going to try to intimidate my people by threatening them with discipline. Okay? So that's part one. If a manager's on the workroom floor threatening discipline of any kind, for any reason whatsoever, bust their ass on it. File a grievance. Okay? 115.4 of the M39 Handbook, Mutual Respect. You're not going to come out on the workroom floor and be disruptive by threatening discipline. Okay? So... That's number one. Second, a geofence that's not in any contract or handbook or manual is a geofence. That's something that they've come up with on these new memos. They're talking about these. Uh, the scanner has this geofence. you got to break it. I don't care about a geofence. Okay? I'm going to come in, do my office duties, pull my route down, and leave. Whatever time I leave, I leave. You're not going to hurry me to leave. You're not going to hurry me to load my truck. I have one requirement only to come in and do my office duties, <laughs> to case my mail, do the things that I'm supposed to do for my office time, load my vehicle and go. Okay. If they're saying you have a certain amount of time to load your vehicle, we need that in writing request that if they're saying, Hey, you got 15 minutes to load your vehicle shop stewards, Get that in writing. Can you please show me that? They'll say, there's new policy come down. You got 15 minutes. Can you show me that policy? Anytime management says that there is a policy, shop stewards, request the policy. The policy will quickly turn to a directive. (laughs) Well, let me see the policy. Well, it's a directive from the district manager. Oh, so it's not a policy. Well, let me see the directive. Well, that's just something he said on a teleconference. Can you get that in writing for me? Get it documented. Always, shop stewards, always ask for the policy. If it turns into a directive, ask for the directive. Okay? Make sure we're getting it on the record. Management lies to you. I think I've said that before. They lie to lie. They are still... This came out the other day about this 22 minutes that the union agreed to it. That's based off those memos. It is a blatant lie. We did not agree to a load time. There is no such thing as a a load time. When I load and I finish loading, that's the time I loaded. (laughs) That's my load time is when I start and finish. However long that takes. We did not agree to a 22-minute load time. That's based off the memos. Now, I told y'all my opinion on that. I think it's the dumbest thing in history to have included those times on those memos. I do. I think that that was reckless and comes from people that did not work on this workroom floor very long. On both sides. I just do. You you never, ever do that. It, It could have been completely harmless when you did it. But like I said back there in the memos, you've got to think beyond that piece of paper. You you had to have thought that man management is going to take this and completely fuck my carriers over with it. 
I'm not going to put those times on there. That's just something that we'll give the teams to look at, but we're not going to put that in a memo. We're not going to put, we're not going to broadcast that in a memo. We still have carriers being abused today because of that ignorance. Putting damn times on there saying that these are parameters. How many times do we talk about that? It's still going on today. It's still going on today because management will take anything and lie. So they're telling these carriers here, you got 22 minutes to load and the union has agreed to it. That is a blatant lie. We didn't do that. So when they say that, shop stewards, tell, ask them where they got that. Where that they got where we agreed that that's a 22-minute time, that that's 22-minute load time. They're going to hand you the memo. Read the memo to them. These are parameters. They're not standards. Okay? Take care of your people. All right? We'll defeat the ignorance that was written on that. I'm going to get off of that. But. That's what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm here for city letter cares. <laughs> I don't care about anything else hurting people's feelings. So the 22 minutes is a parameter. It is not a standard. So to the gentleman, if you're listening or somebody can direct you to this episode, have your steward ask for that. Where are they getting that the union and management have agreed that it's 22 minutes? Get that. When they hand you... 1983, 1984, and I hand those to you, go to that section that has the parameters and show them these are parameters. They're not standards. Okay? Correct that. If management continues to say it, grieve it. Under Article 19, via that memo, 1983, grieve it. Okay? And have management cease and desist. All right? But anytime management's threatening discipline, Bust them in the ass on that and get them to stop that. The geofence, let's talk about that. When they talk about the geofence, that you have to be, you have to break this geofence by a certain amount of time. Here's what happens. Here's where they get that from. It's pet and dois. So what management does is they'll come by in the morning. You know how they do the linear measurement. They'll say you got three tubs and they will give those tubs a volume. 115 pieces per tub, okay? And so they'll do a linear measurement. you got three tubs, 115 pieces per tub. They won't do a piece count. It's just a linear measurement. And they'll give that a time value, okay? Three tubs, 115 pieces, you get a time value for that. They will put that into their program, into DOAS. And then PET will take all your time out. They'll take all your fixed office time out. So you're left with the bare minimum, the bare bones, okay? So management, local management will come around and they'll say, look, I'm not using PET. I'm not using DOAS. But this is your projected leave time. What they're not telling you is that their bosses have this data and they are using PET and DOAS above them. And they are telling them, your carriers need to be out of the office and break this geofence in this amount of time using PET. And so management, local management, will then say, 
you've got to break this. Hey, y'all have got to get out of this geofence by this amount of time. Well, I don't even have time to stick my mail. You've got to get out of this geofence in a certain amount of time, or we're going to start issuing discipline. They're doing that because their bosses are kicking their ass on it. All right, does that make sense? Their boss, your boss's boss is kicking their ass, saying that your carriers are not getting out of this, breaking this geofence by this certain time that's based off of PET. So when you hear geofence, you got to break this geofence in a certain amount of time. That scanner data, that scanner will break that geofence in a certain amount of time. And your, their boss, your boss's boss is going to look at that and see if you're making times according to PET or DOAS. So that's all that is, okay? Because when we open the door for these scanners to be used, this is what you get. When we open that door, when you, you stick your toes in that door, the crack of that door, that's what you get. When you give them an inch, and like they say, take a mile, we, we let them stick their toes in the door saying that they can use scanner data. Now they're going to start threatening discipline based off a of geofence, based off of scanner data. They're going to start talking about stationary events based off of scanner data. Okay, so shop stewards protect your people on that. When they're talking about geofence, let's ask them, where are you getting that geofence from? Well, it's this scanner. Well, how do they know, you know, what dictates when I'm supposed to break that geofence? Get it on the record. All right, we'll definitely do that if they start issuing discipline. So shoot stewards, take care of your people on that as well. All right, here's another thing that just came out, and it's not out everywhere. I kind of got this under the table. And some of y'all may have seen it already, but just be prepared for it. Be ready for it. Okay. It's, uh, it says link postal vehicle ethics penalty stiff for unauthorized use. So it's postal vehicle ethics and it has one of our, our postal vehicles on there. And it says postal service vehicles should be used for one purpose only official authorized business. Postal employees should not use a postal vehicle for any unauthorized personnel uses like commuting between work and home, running a personal errand, or to do work for a second job. Uh, has an email there with any questions about use of a postal vehicle while on detail or postal travel. Unauthorized use of postal vehicles violates the standards of ethical conduct for employees of the executive branch and federal law. And then it has this, penalties are steep and include mandatory suspension without pay for at least one month and further penalties where appropriate up to and including removal from the postal service. So basically they've already told you you're going on 16-7 for a month. Okay, so we'll use that against them. All right, you've already predetermined my 16-7 and you've already predetermined the time for it. All right. So we'll use that against them. But this is coming out now, postal vehicle ethics. So tell your people don't be doing anything they shouldn't be doing in those vehicles. You know, not like back in the day when the LLVs first came out and they didn't have any, <laughs> any scanners. You know what y'all used to do. But, um, yeah, just tell your people, hey, just deliver mail in your vehicle and come on back. Don't go do anything else you shouldn't be doing. You know, what was the old saying? If the vehicle's rocking, don't come a-knocking. <laughs> that's, that's way back. <laughs> but uh, but when we get that link, uh, make sure that we address it, okay, that they've already predetermined that we're going on 16-7, and they're predetermining the, the length of my emergency placement. 
Here's another thing. And this is something I get all the time as well. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> this is how we're going to address it. The postmaster threatened me, the formal A, that if I pursue an Article 41 grievance that she's violated many times, and a step B just came back in our favor, saying, if you push the issue on this, you won't like it. If you think I'm bad now, wait until you see my mean side. You'll wish you'd never known the side of me. To which she refused to meet with me on the grievance. So when I send it up, do I include the step B decision along with the packet on this new grievance? Also, should I write a narrative of what she said in conjunction with her refusal? I not feel like I can work with her in good faith now that she has threatened me. She has essentially stated that she will not be fair. The mutual respect is gone just from those words alone. Please need, need advice. I'll give you some advice. I had an episode one time where we're, we're equal in that meeting. Okay? We're on level playing field. You're not my superior any longer in the formal A meeting or the informal A meeting. Right? If any manager threatens me in a meeting, I'm going to get my pad. I'm going to say, hang on just a second. You're talking too fast. So you're saying, I won't like this side of you. I'm going to start writing it down in front of them. I'm going to start repeating it. You said now, okay, hang on. You said, uh, I won't like this side of you. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to write it down right in the, right in their face. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. You're not going to threaten me in a meeting. Period. Okay. We can file agreements on that 115. They're going to deny it. Look, you've got to understand we're, we're equals in that meeting. I will never be threatened more than once. <laughs> they can initially slip one in on me, but that'll be the last one. Okay? Make sure you understand we're on a level playing field. We are equals in that meeting. All right? Uh, if it was me. And they start saying, you sure you want to pursue this? You ain't going to like that side of me. I'm going to say, what are you talking about? What do you mean? I'm not going to like that side of you. What are you going to do? We're going to challenge each other right there. So who do you think you're talking to? Huh? I ain't going to like you. I don't like your ass now. You're trying to threaten me. I don't know who the fuck you think you're talking to. Please. <laughs> Please. In the meeting, understand your equals. Okay. You can write a statement, they're going to deny it. You can write a grievance saying that in the meeting she said you're not going to like She's going to deny it. Why? Because you're one-on-one. -on -one. It's he said, she said. We've got to start being aggressive in that meeting. Too many bullies. I have dealt with too many in these other areas that do that shit in this office. I told y'all when we went to Hattiesburg, you know, the, the postmaster told the formal A that they were going to fire them if they kept filing grievances. So they just quit filing grievances. I'm going to fire you if you keep filing grievances. This happens so many times, folks. So many times. We have got to start having a backbone in those meetings. Okay? Make sure. If they start saying some shit like that, just get your pat on. Say, hang on, you're talking too fast. Let me see here. I'm not going to like what you're who you're going to be. I'm going to regret it. Now, what else did you say? You said, you said, uh, that's what I'm going to do. And I said, <laughs> you know, just watch what they do. <laughs> you know, get some backbone in those meetings. All right. Don't put up with that shit. You got to remember 
you have no superior. All right? You're equals. But that happens more than y'all know. Managers going there and threaten us that if we keep filing grievances, they're going to do something. I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take it if I was you. But you can file a grievance, obviously. You can file a grievance on 115.4. And, and you're going to get the language both parties are tasked with maintaining an atmosphere of mutual respect. That's probably what you're going to get. Uh, management's not going to want to grant anything. And the union at the B team is going to say, you know, well, we'll just put them on notice that both parties are required to maintain an atmosphere of mutual respect. That's probably what you're going to get. Okay, but you'll at least have that on the record that that's what was said. And then, you know, if something happens later, she starts issuing an exorbitant amount of discipline. You can put this in there and say, you know, she threatened me. She said she's going to come after me. She said we we're going to regret it, that we we're going to hate this other side of her. And now everybody's getting investigative interviews and everybody's getting disciplined. So she's following through with it. So you can do that, put that in the case file, okay? And, and that will probably help you in some of your discipline cases if that's how they want to act, all right? So, I mean, you can do that. So here's the last thing, and I'm going to let y'all go. Remember, next week we're going to do letter care paragraph, all right? It's going to be extensive. Here's the last thing. Hey, everyone. Tuesday I woke up with chest pain, went to work, then went to the emergency room. Ends up I have a collapsed lung. I'm a new regular with 30 sick leave hours. I don't think I'll be working at least a few weeks. What are my options for trying to, to still get paid during this? Short-term disability? And um, gentleman wrote back, you know, look into Section 5 of the ELM on advanced sick leave. All right? So let's talk about advanced sick leave. Okay? I'm going to do a lot of reading, uh, but I think this will help you. Anybody that's trying to put in for advanced sick leave or if we have advanced sick leave, sick leave requests that have been denied, uh, I believe that this will help you, all right? I've got some arbitrator's decisions that I'm going to read from, and there's five of them. <laughs> it's a bunch. But at the end of it, it's going to tell you what you're going to need to look for, what your issue statement is going to be, what we're going to request, and the obstacles we have to overcome when we look at the language that we're going to talk about on advanced sick leave, when we request advanced sick leave, okay? So we're going to give you the issue statement, what you're going to ask for. We're going to give you the contractual language, what it reads, okay? And then we're going to show you a, a loss, why we lost it, and some wins, how we're going to win that when people are denied advanced sick leave. Because probably 95% across the country, requests for advanced sick leave will be denied because management's assholes, all right? So they will deny that more times than not, okay? So this is how we're going to beat it, all right? So we're going to start with a case. It's C00191, 191, which means what? This is very old. <laughs> C00191, and it's from Arbitrator Foster. And you'll hear other arbitrators, I'm going to read from some others, where this is kind of the gold standard. This is kind of the benchmark that they look at is this decision. C00191, 00191, Arbitrator Foster. And the issue, whether the employee violated the national agreement when it disapproved the grievance request for 120 hours of advanced sick leave, and if so, what shall the, be the remedy? 
pertinent provisions from the Employee and Labor Relations Manual. Here's your provision that you're going to use. This is the provision that talks about uh, requesting advancement of sick leave, okay? 513.3, authorizing sick leave. 311, general, sick leave cannot be granted until it is earned, except as provided in 513.5. All right, so that's critical. Authorizing sick leave, 513.3. I'll read it again. Point 311, general, sick leave cannot be granted until it is earned, except as provided in 513.5. All right, so if management says you don't have sick leave, you can't take any. Well, we're going to go to 513.5, okay? 513.5, here we go. Advanced sick leave, 513.5 of the ELM, Employee Labor Relations Manual. Point 511, may not exceed 30 days. Sick leave, not to exceed 30 days, 240 hours. May be advanced in cases of serious disability or ailments if there is reason to believe the employee will return to duty. Sick leave may be advanced whether or not employees have annual leave to their credit. And here's the hang-up. Here's what we're going to have to defeat in every single case that you look at, and this is what management's going to say. Sick leave not to exceed 30 days, 240 hours, may. And that word right there is the one that causes so much problem. May be advanced. Management's going to say, it doesn't say must. It says may. It gives us the discretion. It gives us the option. It says may. We chose not to do so. All right? That's what you're going to hear 100% of the time. It says may. It doesn't say must. So get ready for that. And we're going to do that in, the, in, in these sites I've got for you. Okay? We're going to show you how to beat that word may. Uh, it has management's position. All right? Then it has the union's position. Here's what the union said. While conceding that the granting of advanced seek leave is discretionary, talking about that word may, on the part of the postmaster, the union contends that the grievant should have been granted advanced sick leave as authorized by the Employee Labor Relations Manual. In support of this position, the union points out that the grievant followed the proper procedures for applying for advanced sick leave by filling out the 3971 form and attaching the doctor's statement explaining the reason to enter the hospital for testing and evaluation of her service-connected disability in order to correct the problem which was causing her to lose time from her job. And he goes on with the union's position. Here's the employer's position. The employer views the issue involved in this grievance as being simple to resolve since the granting of advanced sick leave is discretionary, is a discretionary right of the installation head and not a contractual provision. Accordingly, it is the employer's position that the grievance request for advanced sick leave was denied based on the provisions as outlined in the Employer Labor Relations Manual and the grievance unsatisfactory attendance record. The employer denies that the grievance is entitled to advanced sick leave because she is a disabled veteran under the executive order signed by the union and contends that even if such an order did apply to the grievance, no evidence was introduced to support the contention that the diagnostic test the grievance was to undertake beginning on August 1st, 1983, was casually related to the VA disability, which was not indicated when she signed her Form 2485. So there you have it. They're saying that it's discretionary. It's completely up to their discretion. 
And that's what we're going to have to defeat 100% of the time. They're going to say may. And here's the arbitrator's opinion. And it's lengthy. All these are going to be lengthy. And I apologize for all this reading. But we're going to get this down on this request for advanced sick leave when they deny it. Okay. While the employer correctly observes that Part 513.511 does not mandate the granting of advanced sick leave, but rather employs the permissive word may, the language does not provide such a simple answer to the question raised by this grievance as suggested by the employer's advocate. Having once expressed the policy allowing sick leave to be advanced to an employee up to a 30-day limit for medical reasons, the circumstances under which it will be granted is left to the exercise of sound managerial discretion as distinguished from an unfettered discretion. That is to say, the denial of an employee's legitimate request without a factually based good reason becomes so arbitrary as to constitute an abuse of that discretion subject to reversal and arbitration. One such good reason for denial suggested by the language in this section is that the employee may not be able to return to duty and repay the advance leave. Another would be the evidence that the employee had abused sick leave in the past by excessive use without good cause. So be careful with that. If you have an employee with just a terrible sick leave record because they don't like working on Saturdays or it's their plan B, I've run out of annual, now I go to plan B, my sick leave, you're going to have to combat that. You're going to have to be ready for that. All right. That's an argument that you're going to have to overcome. In applying these standards to the record of this case, it should first be noted that there was no evidentiary indication at the time grievance request was denied that she would be unable to return to work at the conclusion of the 120 hours of advanced sick leave. That's critical. To the contrary, management had before it the grievance statement confirmed by her doctor that, she est that the estimated period of absence would be the requested 120 hours of sick leave. And while the denial letter from the postmaster stated the reason as evaluations and recommendations from your supervisors as to the possibility of repaying the advanced, neither the supervisor nor the postmaster appeared at the hearing to provide evidence related to any factual basis on which that conclusion could be based. Thus, the naked assertion without any probative evidence going to the point is insufficient to support the validity of the initially stated reason for the denial. Once the grievance was filed, the stated reason for the denial became the employee's past record of sick leave usage that had earlier led to the grievance being placed on the restricted sick leave list. But management was apparently convinced that this was not an actual abusive sick leave once it was known that almost all the leave had been approved in advance due to grievance continuing medical problems. Since the official removal of grievance from the restricted sick leave list did not occur until July 21st of 1983, it is quite possible that the fact of removal was not known to management at the time the advanced sick leave request was denied in August. There is even some doubt as to whether grievance current supervisor who processed the grievance at step one was aware of the reason for grievance prior absences since she did not review form 3971 reflecting the reasons for those absences. In any event, it would be grossly unfair to grievance to resurrect those pre-August 1983 absences based on an admittedly legitimate medical reasons as a justification for now denying grievance request for advanced sick leave. In summary, there is no evidence of record providing any indication 
that Grievant may not have been able to return to duty had she been granted the requested 120 hours of advanced sick leave or that she had abused sick leave in the past. To the contrary, the policy authorizing advanced sick leave under 513-511 of the Employee Labor Relations Manual is designed to accommodate an employee in Grievant's position on August 1, 1983, who had legitimately used all available sick leave and was then requesting advance in order to correct the medical problem that had been causing her to miss time from work. Accordingly, employers' denial of grievance request for advanced sick leave in August 1983 was an abuse of managerial discretion which this arbitrator cannot allow to stand. After careful consideration of the evidence and arguments of the parties, and based on the reasons set out above, the award is that the employer violated the national agreement and the provisions of the Employer Labor Relations Manual relating to advanced sick leave incorporated therein by reference by denying grievance requests for 120 hours of advanced sick leave. The remedy of this grievance shall be advanced 120 hours of sick leave retroactive to August 1st, 1983, when it was originally requested. Now, I know I read that fast, but that's the one that most arbitrators will will fall back to is that foster decision. That's what they call the benchmark decision. All right. So he tells you that you have may, so it's management's discretion, but they cannot be arbitrary in denying the leave. They have to show why they denied it. And it can't be arbitrary or capricious. Okay. They have to have a sound reasoning for the denial. All right. So the union came in, showed that, hey, all the sick leave that she used is based off of this medical condition. The sick leave that she's requesting is based off of the same medical condition. And the arbitrator said, yeah, you can't be arbitrary in denying this leave. All right. So make sure that we're going to we're going to combat the word may. Can't be arbitrary, even though it's their discretion. They cannot be arbitrary in denying us that leave, that advancement of leave. All right. All right, um, next one I'm going to read is from uh, Arbitrator Snow. And this was when he was on the regional panel. This was not a national decision. And uh, this was a, a loss. He denied this one, okay? But it's it's very good decision to help you when you're having to defeat management's denial of a, a request for advanced sick leave. Uh, he says the issue before this arbitrator is as follows. Did the employer violate the party's national agreement by denying the grievance request for advanced sick leave? If so, what is the appropriate remedy? Then he has in there the relevant provisions, uh, ELM 513.511, advanced sick leave. And I read that to you all, okay? Here's the union's position. The union argues that the employer arbitrarily denied the grievance request for advanced sick leave. It is the belief of the union that the agreement complied with requirements of ELM Section 513.511 by providing medical, medical certification with a begin date as well as an approximate return date. Hence, it is the conclusion of the union that the employer was obligated to provide the agreement with advanced sick leave. The union maintains that the employer exceeded its discretionary authority by denying the request. While conceding that advanced sick leave is not employee right, the union nevertheless contends that the employer may not arbitrarily deny such a request. So there's those words again. The union asserts the correct test for approving advanced sick leave request is whether or not the employee is able to repay the advanced sick leave. The union seeks to have the original request for advanced sick leave approved in the appropriate hours credit to the grievance current sick leave balance. 
I don't think I read y'all the C number on this. It's C number 22546. C number 22546 is Arbitrator Snow. Now, we won't be using this one, but uh, it is a key case, and, and it and he, he goes in depth about why he denied it. So it's, it's very good in helping us learn. <clears throat> the employer. The employer believes that the decision to deny the grievance request for advanced sick leave did not violate the party's national agreement. According to the employer, management retained discretionary authority to approve or deny such a request for advanced sick leave. In this case, the employer allegedly exercised its discretion in good faith. The employer also believes that the agreement abused the sick leave provisions of the party's national agreement. The decision to deny her advanced sick leave allegedly is based on a careful view of her record and was in no way arbitrary or capricious. Hence, the employer concludes that the grievance must be denied. And, and here I'm fixing to read a lot to y'all, so forgive me. All right. It says, analysis, looking at the facts in depth. In this case, the grievance immediate supervisor was Mr. Uh, Eugene Garcia, reviewed the grievance request for advanced sick leave and also examined Forms 3972 in her file from 1997 to the present. He concluded that her file reflected far too many call-in absences and recommended that her request for advanced sick leave be denied. In fact, Mr. Garcia has denied all advanced sick leave requests which he has been asked to review. On April, So this guy, he's just denying all of them. And that's generally what's going to happen. All right? It's a, it's a tough sell. But generally what's going to happen, they're just going to deny all of them and make us fight for it. On April 20, 2000, Manager of Customer Service Operations for the Northwest Area in Los Angeles denied the grievance request. He reviewed the supervisor's recommendations as well as the grievance five-year sick leave report. He did not elect to interview the grievant. Postmaster testified that the grievant, in his opinion, had a record of abusing sick leave. Moreover, he testified that he had considerable doubt with regard to whether the grievant would be able to pay back the advanced sick leave. The grievant, on the other hand, testified she had no doubt that she'd be able to return to work following her pregnancy. Postmaster believed he saw evidence in the grievance record that in 1998 she was abusing sick leave. In 1998, the grievance suffered from back pain and testified that she was off work for approximately 150 hours during the months of November to December. In 1996, the grievance suffered a miscarriage and took a four-month absence from work. In that case, however, the grievance had accumulated sufficient hours to cover her absence. The grievance record also revealed other shorter periods of sick leave, but she was unable to recall specific reasons for any of those absences. Postmaster offered his belief that the grievance, as an 11-year employee, should have accumulated more sick leave than she had accrued. Among employees under the postmaster's supervision, the grievance is among those who used the most sick leave during the last four years. The postmaster, however, maintained that he did not compare the grievance with other employees in reaching his decision to deny her request, but focused on her prior pattern of attendance. In 2000, the grievance accumulated only nine hours of sick leave. At the same time, management never disciplined her for sick leave abuse or poor attendance, nor was she placed on restricted sick leave. Postmaster testified that he was amenable to granting advanced sick leave to employees in appropriate cases and, in fact, has done so in the past. The grievance left work on May 17, 2000 and returned on July 17, 2000. Following her pregnancy, she was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. At the time of her pregnancy, she was unaware of her condition. When she requested advanced sick leave, she did not know she had congestive heart failure. She now is restricted to light duty. 
And then he goes on. B, teaching of the ELM. Section 513.511 of the Employee and Labor Relations Manual states that sick leave not to exceed 30 days, 240 hours may, and he has that underlined, be advanced in cases of serious disability or ailment if there is reason to believe the employer will turn to duty. Sick leave may, he has that one underlined, be advanced whether or not the employees have annual leave to their credit. And then he goes on. Pursuant to Article 19 of the Party's Collective Bargaining Agreement, Section 513.511 of the ELM must be construed as a contractual provision. And ordinary rules of contract interpretation must be applied to it. And that's huge language. Because remember earlier, management said that's not a a provision. He said it was on Article 19 of ELM. Article 19 incorporates the ELM, so it must be construed as a contractual provision. And ordinary rules of contract interpretation must be implied to it. The parties have a long bargain relationship and are presumed to be astute in their careful use of verbiage in the collective bargaining agreement as well as in manuals incorporated by reference into it. While words are imperfect vehicles of communication, arbitrators as well as the common law long have held that the party who willingly and without protest enters into a contract with knowledge of the other party's interpretation of it is bound by such interpretation and cannot later claim that it thought something else was meant. Powerful. Use of the word may in ELM section 513.511 meant that the employee retained discretionary authority to grant or not to grant advanced sick leave. As one scholar stated, no drafter of a document should conscientiously use may, however, when he means must. I'll read that again because that's powerful against us. One scholar stated, no drafter of a document should conscientiously use may, however, when he means must. The union conceded it knew that the employer retained discretionary authority over granting advanced sick leave. No evidence submitted to the arbitrator established that the employer was required to honor the grievance request in this case. No evidence suggests that the use of the word may in section 513.511 meant anything other than that management retained discretionary control over granting the requested leave, nor that the union challenged management's interpretation. So y'all know a lot of times when I read things to y'all, contractual language, and I highlight a word that says must, doesn't say may, it says must. That's what he's talking about. When there's a word that, that is definitive like that, we have to to bring that out and show an arbitrator. This is what the word is right here. Must means exactly that. You're, you're bound to that. Well, here management uses their word against us. And that's may. And he goes on, an arbitrary denial. The union contended that the grievant nevertheless should prevail over the employer's discretionary control of advanced sick leave because management had no right to deny such a request arbitrarily. While conceding that an employee has no automatic right to advance sick leave, the union insists that management cannot be capricious, discriminatory, or arbitrary in rejecting such requests. In this case, management allegedly ran afoul of its duty of good faith to the grievant. The union is correct in its assertion that management has an obligation to exercise its contractual discretionary authority in good faith. This duty of good faith is woven into the warp and woof of every contract. 
and good faith performance or enforcement of a contract emphasizes faithfulness to an agreed common focus and consistency with the justified expectations of the other party. That's very good language. Whatever the word is, you have to still bargain with us in good faith. All right, you still have to have good faith performance. All right? The duty of good faith performance requires management to exercise its discretionary authority under Section 513.5 of the 11 of the M with rationality and sound judgment. So he's going after that word may. Okay? He says you still have to do it with rationality and sound judgment. It says may, but you still have to have these two things, rationality and sound judgment. Evidence submitted to the arbitrator established that the employer complied with its obligation. It is recognized that the grievance immediate supervisor never has approved a request for advanced sick leave. <laughs> In this case, he evaluated the grievance request for advanced sick leave and recommended against it. But he did so only after carefully reviewing her forms 3972. No evidence showed that this was an irrational, arbitrary decision. Moreover, he was not the deciding official. The postmaster made the decision in the case. He did so after evaluating the supervisor's recommendation, the grievance five-year sick leave report, and her general attendance record. Based on those data, he made a prediction with regard to whether or not the grievance would be able to repay the advanced sick leave on returning to work. The postmaster amassed the following information. In 1997, the grievance used 61 hours of sick leave. In 1998, she used 167 hours. In 1999, she used 66 hours. In 2000, she used 113 hours. By comparison, if the grievance had amassed all of her sick leave hours, she had enjoyed a balance of 1,200 hours. As of June 2001, she had a balance of 8 hours. Based on these data, the postmaster was charged with making a rational prediction in good faith. The postmaster had to decide whether to grant the grievance 240 hours of advanced sick leave. It was his role to speculate with regard to whether he believed she would be able to return to work in order to pay back the sick leave account. Evidence submitted to the arbitrator failed to establish that he was arbitrary and capricious in concluding that the agreement did not meet the test. After an 11-year record of employment with the U.S. Postal Service, the agreement has amassed a history of using nearly all her accumulated sick leave. In reviewing her record, it was not unreasonable for the postmaster to conclude that the agreement would continue the trend. He concluded that her past provided a prologue to her future, and he was not arbitrary or rational in the way he went about analyzing the facts before him. The totality of the record failed to establish that in, the case, in this case, the employer violated its duty to exercise its discretionary authority in good faith. Then he goes through several pages of arbitral authority. I'm not going to read that because he just goes over the union's sites that they put in and why those are not controlling in his decision. And so he goes over that, and then he finally does his conclusion. Arbitral authority on which the union relied failed to establish that the employer acted in bad faith by denying the grievance request for advanced sick leave. In cases on which the union relied, employees submitted strong evidence supporting their intention to return to work as well as their ability to repay borrowed sick leave. In this case, the grievance failed to supply the employer with data on which management could base a rational belief that should be able to repay the advanced sick leave account. A review of the grievance sick leave account established that she had a history of using a majority of her sick leave. 
Management recognized that it would take her years to pay back the advanced sick leave. If she continued to use her acquired sick leave at the same rate as had been true in the past, and if she continued to be absent from work as much as had been the case over the past 11 years. Accordingly, it must be concluded that evidence submitted to the arbitrator failed to prove managerial bad faith in denying the grievance request in this case. And so he denied the uh, decision. He denied the grievance. All right, so that's a very good decision. If uh, informals, formals, if you want to get that decision and look at it, it's going to help you. He gives you a very... Very good, detailed reasoning. It also helps us out in here, I believe, when he talks about, you know, this is what the union must show. And this is how management would be capricious. This is how management would be arbitrary in denying it. And in this case, that didn't happen. So it's a good read for you. Here's another one. It's C08199. C08199. And this is from Thomas Levack. And this is the one that I would use the issue statement on because he spells it out perfectly. The issue, the case concerns the propriety of a denial by the Tacoma Postmaster of the grievance request for advanced sick leave. At the commencement of the arbitration hearing, the party stipulated that the following issue is to be resolved by the arbitrator. And here's your issue. Did the service violate Article 19 of the National Agreement as well as Section 513.5 of the Employee and Labor Relations Manual when the grievance request for advanced sick leave was denied by letter of June 1, 1987? If so, to what remedy is the grievance entitled? That's a good issue statement for you. If you ever wondered, what, what's my issue statement going to be? There's your one right there. And a lot of arbitration sites, when you read them, they'll have a good issue for you. So there's your good issue. He goes over ELM 513.5, so you'll have that again. Uh, he goes over the history of the sick leave usage, which is very good. I'm not going to read all that. But he goes over the history of the sick leave usage. He, he breaks that down very well. He goes over the contentions made at steps one through steps three. Uh, then he goes over union's contentions. The union has established violations of Article 19 in the Employee Labor Relations Manual. The basic reason is that the June 1987 denial letter was never explained. Management agrees that if the postmaster's decision was arbitrary or capricious, the agreement should be reimbursed. And under the evidence, his decision must be so considered to be arbitrary and capricious. And those are two words. Get used to it. All right, arbitrary and capricious. Most of the grievance sick leave was for major illnesses or surgeries and for ab or for absences or doctors appointments related thereto. A portion was for poison oak. In order to keep sick leave usage as low as possible, the agreement traded days off and changed doctor's appointments. The agreement has never been disciplined for sick leave abuse. The only administrative action ever taken against the agreement was one quarter of re restricted sick leave in 1985. She has had no step increases deferred. The grievance 1987 form 3972 is marked shows improvement by her reviewing supervisor. And then he, he goes on. He uh, has several arbitrations that the union put in for arbitrable precedent. Then he goes to service, their contentions. During her 12 years and five months of employment, the agreement has earned 1,248 hours of sick leave by the time of her request in May 1987. Having spent $15,000 worth of sick leave, the grievant asked for an interest-free loan of $2,983. The Employer Labor Relations 
manual does not require that advanced sick leave shall or must be granted. Rather, the installation head is authorized and he may grant advanced sick leave. Y'all hear that? Here we are again. The employer and labor relations manual does not require that advanced sick leave shall or must be granted. Rather, the installation head is authorized and he may grant advanced sick leave. There you have it again. In every decision that you'll ever read about it, that's going to be the arguments of both parties. Arbitrary and capricious for us, may for them. All right? Only if the installation head exercise of his managerial prerogative is arbitrary, capricious, or discriminatory can his decision be reversed, and the union must demonstrate and prove that denial is arbitrary, capricious, or discriminatory. All right? So there you have part of management's position. And here's the arbitrator's conclusion. The arbitrator concludes that the union has established by preponderance of evidence that the service violated the national agreement, Article 19 and Employee Labor Relations Manual, Section 513.5. Accordingly, the agreements must be sustained. The following is the reasoning of the arbitrator. The starting point in this case concerns the scope of Employer Labor Relations Manual, Section 513.5. Regarding that scope, the arbitrator finds himself in basic agreement with the ruling of Regional Arbitrator Robert Foster. And I read that one earlier. That's the first one I read. In the case number there, dated 12-21-84, and cited by the union in its closing argument. As arbitrator Foster noted, Section 513.5 does not mandate the granting of advanced sick leave, but rather employs the permissive word may, where there is reason to believe the employee will return to duty. He further notes that the obvious purpose of that quoted condition is that there should exist a reasonable expectation that the employee will be able to return to duty and work at least long enough to repay the advanced sick leave. As he further comments, while there will frequently be some uncertainty as to whether an employee may be able to return to work at the time the request is made, the decision concerning whether there is reason to believe that the employee will return is left to the exercise of sound managerial discretion and is not to be abused by any arbitrary or capricious denial unsupported by a factually based good reason. And and that's what you need to hang on to, all right? Formal A's, informals, if you're doing your contentions. Employee may be able to return to work at the time the request is made. The decision concerning whether there is reason to believe that the employee will so return is left to the exercise of sound managerial discretion that is not to be abused by an arbitrary or capricious denial unsupported by a factually based good reason. All right, that's very good language, and that would go in all of my contentions. In every case of denial, the critical question, therefore, becomes whether management has sufficient evidence at the time of the decision to reasonably believe that the employee will return to work and repay the advance sick leave it is granted. I know this episode is going to be choppy where I've edited it. <clears throat> I wish y'all could hear all the calls in between these things here. I know you're thinking, why is he reading so crazy? I keep coughing. And so I'm having to edit those. I'll be editing those coughs out when it comes out. So I probably sound like I'm speaking a foreign language on some portions of this because they just come out of nowhere. So you have to forgive me on this episode, all right? If it sounds a little, little uh, herky jerky, all right?
Various factors may come into play when the installation head makes his decision. I'll read that again. Various factors may come into play when the installation head makes his decision. Those factors include, but are not necessarily limited to, 1. Medical prognostication, indicating whether the employee will be able to return to work and work on a regular enough basis to evade the advanced sick leave. 2. Evidence indicating whether the employee has good reason to return to work, such as the need to support children. 3. Evidence concerning any past abuse of sick leave and discipline, therefore. All right, so be ready to combat that. Because Employee Labor Relations Section 513 expressly vests installation heads with discretion, an arbitrator should find an installation head's decision to be arbitrary or capricious only where substantial evidence does not exist to support the installation head's decision. In reviewing the decision of the installation head, an arbitrator therefore does not act as some sort of super personnel manager. An arbitrator must affirm the decision of the installation head or a reasonable person could say that substantial evidence supports the installation head's decision. That's beautiful language right there. Beautiful language. I'll read that again. It's so pretty. In reviewing the decision of the installation head, an arbitrator, therefore, does not act as some sort of super personnel manager. An arbitrator must affirm the decision of the installation head where a reasonable person could say that substantial evidence supports the installation head's decision. As has been noted in numerous federal court and arbitration decisions, the arbitrary or capricious standard is the least demanding form of review of administrative action. Any questions of judgment are left to the agency. Before condemning a decision as arbitrary or capricious, an arbitrator must be very confident that the decision maker overlooked something important or seriously erred in the appreciating the significance of of the evidence. That's good stuff. Substantial evidence does not mean a preponderance of evidence, but must be somewhat less than a preponderance. For example, in Laws versus Calabrese, it is stated, substantial evidence it has been held is evidence which a reasoning mind is evidence which a reasoning mind would accept as sufficient to support a particular conclusion. It consists of more than a mere scintilla of evidence, but may be somewhat less than a preponderance. Thus, where conflicting evidence exists, example, on the question of whether the employee is likely to return to work, the installation head is vested with discretion under Section 513.5 to choose the evidence that some other reasonable person might find to be less convincing, and so long as there is no substantial evidence to support the installation head's decision, an arbitrator must find that the decision is not arbitrary or capricious. On the other hand, some substantial evidence must exist to support the installation head's decision. In the absence of any such evidence, his decision must be deemed to be arbitrary and capricious and should be overturned by the arbitrator. In the instant case, there is no substantial evidence to support the decision of the installation head. The grievant never has abused sick leave in the past, and the only prognosis at the time of her request was that she reasonably was expected to return to work and pay back the advanced sick leave. That prognosis was in the form of the medical certification, the grievance prior record, and her need to support her family. 
The reason advanced for the denial of the request was not within the scope of and is not contemplated by the Employer Labor Relations Section 513.5. The fact that the grievant had utilized all of her accumulated sick leave at the time of her request was not a bona fide basis for denial. Accordingly, the grievant must be sustained. Now, if y'all have any that say that we didn't grant it because she has no sick leave balance. You heard those earlier. Arbitrators earlier saying you had no sick leave balance. If we're having to fight that, here's a good decision. Because you hear what he said? The fact that the grievant had utilized all of her accumulated sick leave at the time of her request was not a bona fide basis for denial. So informals, formals, especially formals. If you have uh, at the formal A meeting, man, it comes up and it's like, they have no sick leave. She's been here six years, has no sick leave. He's been here eight years, has no sick leave. Remember this decision from LEVAC 08199-08199. He says, the fact that the grievant had utilized all of her accumulated sick leave at the time of her request was not a bona fide basis for denial. All right? And that'll be good for you. Advocates, that's a good one for you if that's something that you're having to overcome. All right, two more and I'll be out of your hair, but hopefully y'all get this down as far as advanced sick leave and the denial because it's coming. This is Eileen Cincy, C26893, C26893, and I'll have all these on the episode underneath it there. She's got the contract language in it as well that you'll need. Uh, positions of the parties, if this sounds familiar. National Association of Letter Carriers, the union recognizes that the service has discretion in granting advanced sick leave under 513.511, but notices but notes that the denial cannot be unfair, arbitrary, or capricious. So hopefully y'all got that in y'all's heads now. <laughs> that language. The union argues that the service failed to respond to its information request. It further maintains that the service did not have grounds to deny the grievance request for advanced sick leave. Uh, talks about the serious medical conditions. And then here's the United States Postal Service. The service points out that the union bears the burden of proving a violation of the contract by preponderance of the evidence. The language of 513.511 is permissive, not mandatory, and the service has the right to deny request as long as it exercises its discretion in a reasonable way. Moreover, arbitrators have concluded that the service may properly consider not only whether an employee is likely to return to work, but whether he is likely to be able to pay back the loan in a reasonable period of time. It is therefore reasonable to consider an employee's past use of sick leave since an employee who consistently uses all the leave he accrues will be unable to pay back the loan within a reasonable period of time. In this case, management made the decision to deny the grievance request after appropriately considering all the facts, including the grievance past use of sick leave. The manager was not required to meet with the grievance before making a decision, since he had made a reasonable investigation. The union was provided with written information responsive to its information request prior to the formal grievance meeting. The decision to deny the grievance request for advanced sick leave was not arbitrary or capricious, and the grievance should be denied. And here's the arbitrator's decision. The plain language of 513.511 permits, but does not require, the plain language of 513.511 permits, but does not require the service to advance up to 30 days of sick leave 
to employees who have serious disability or illness, where there is reason to believe that the employee will not return to duty. Numerous arbitrators have considered the standards that must be applied when evaluating a management decision to deny such a request and have concluded that management may not exercise its discretion in an arbitrary or capricious manner. Get those two words down. (laughs) This standard leaves management with substantial discretion, requiring only that the decision be factually based and that a reason... Factually based and that a reasonable person reviewing the request could come to the same decision. Arbitrator Foster's 1984 decision in C28250 has been considered the benchmark decision establishing the standard of review. And that that C number is is not right. It says decision in C28250 is C number 00191. All right, so that's the one that I read earlier from has been considered the benchmark decision establishing the standard of review. So now you've got two arbitrators that have used Foster's decision. Okay. Arbitrator Foster concluded that the granting of advanced sick leave is left to the exercise of sound managerial discretion as as distinguished from unfettered discretion. In other words, the denial of employees' legitimate request without a factually based good reason become so arbitrary as to constitute an abuse of that discretion subject to reversal and arbitration. Arbitrator Foster noted that one good reason for denial would be that the employee may not be able to return to duty and repay the advanced leave. And another good reason would be evidence that the employee had abused sick leave in the past by excessive use without good cause. So those are things that we're going to have to look at. We're going to have to defeat, okay? If you got somebody that's got a piss poor attendance record, you're going to have to counter that, all right? Be ready for that. The advance of sick leave is considered analogous to a loan, and the service is entitled to repayment of that loan within a reasonable period of time. 513.511 contemplates that the loan will be repaid when the employer returns to work and accrues more sick leave that will then be repaid to the service. While 513.511 refers explicitly to the employee's return to duty but not his ability to repay, arbitrators since Foster have considered both the employee's ability to return to work and his ability to repay the loan. Some, like arbitrator Reeves, have concluded that the two issues are almost always intertwined since an employee who is unlikely to return to work will be unable to repay the leave while an employee who returns will accrue sick leave rapidly enough to repay the loan within a reasonable time. Other arbitrators, however, found that management may reasonably deny requests for advanced sick leave even where an employee is likely to return to duty if the evidence suggests that the employee is unlikely to be able to repay the loan within a reasonable period of time. One factor that may be considered in making that determination is whether the grievance lack of accumulated sick leave has been caused by a few lengthy illnesses or injuries as opposed to a pattern of using sick leave as soon as it accrues with no evidence of major illness or injury. And it says, look at LEVAC. Virtually all arbitrators are in agreement with that the lack of accumulated sick leave cannot, in and itself, be considered a reason to deny a request for advanced sick leave. Any employee requesting advanced sick leave undoubtedly lacks substantial accumulated sick leave, and to deny a request on that criteria alone would render the advanced sick leave provision meaningless, and that's absolutely beautiful language. We're requesting advanced sick leave because we don't have any. 
So if you're going to use the basis of no sick leave, then why are you even putting that in the LM, the advancement of sick leave? And that's what she says. What, what sense does that make to put a provision in there to advance sick leave if all my sick leave is still there? If I still have a healthy sick leave balance, I would never need advanced sick leave. And that's exactly what she says. She says, virtually all arbitrators in agreement that the lack of accumulated sick leave cannot in itself be considered a reason to deny a request for advanced sick leave. Any employee requesting advanced sick leave undoubtedly lacks substantial accumulated sick leave. And to deny requests on that criterion alone would render the advanced sick leave provision meaningless. That's the most important language in all these decisions. And that would be put in my contention for every single request for advanced sick leave that's been denied. That language right there. It's from C26893, Cincy, 26893, and these will be up on the website as well. But I'm going to put that language in every contention that I have. I'm going to cite arbitrator Cincy. All right? In that language, I'll read it again. Any employee requesting advanced sick leave undoubtedly lacks substantial accumulated sick leave. And to deny requests on that criterion alone would render the advanced sick leave provision meaningless. Amen. Applying the LM language and accepted review criteria to the facts of this case, I conclude that the service did not have a reasonable basis to deny the grievance request on the facts that were available when the decision was made. The grievance request on its face satisfied several of the requirements for advanced sick leave. It was based on a serious disability or illness that had been properly documented. His prognosis was excellent and his doctor had certified that the grievance could be expected to make a full recovery. Moreover, there was no discipline related to attendance in the grievance file and no evidence that he had been placed on restricted sick leave. The request was denied, according to Mr. Botello, solely because the grievance ability to repay the advance was questionable. This is a proper consideration by management, and it is true that the grievance had virtually exhausted the sick leave he had accumulated over many years of service. However, it is universally agreed among arbitrators that the absence of accumulated sick leave cannot, standing alone, be considered grounds to deny a request or advance leave. Man, she's killing it right here. All employees requesting advanced sick leave, by definition, lack sufficient accumulated leave to meet their current need. In determining whether to grant or deny a request for advanced sick leave, the service may properly look to the employee's pattern of sick leave usage, including whether the absence has been caused by one or a few major injuries or illnesses that are unlikely to recur. Mr. Botella considered the pattern of usage in this case and concluded that the grievance absence had not been caused by a single major illness. He therefore concluded that the grievance pattern of sick leave usage raised serious questions about his ability to repay the loan. Neither Mr. Botella nor the grievance supervisor asked the grievance to explain his sick leave usage, either verbally or in writing, prior to denying his request. Had such a request been made, the grievance would have explained that most of his absences were caused by two major health conditions lower back pain resulting from earlier injuries, and the hepatitis C for which he had been treated. His explanation may not have altered management's ultimate decision, but would have provided more complete information on which to base a decision. It is true that management is not required to interview an employee or request the employee's explanation of sick leave usage before denying a 513.511 request. However, by not doing so, 
Management may place itself in a situation where the request is being denied almost entirely on the impermissible basis that the employee has exhausted his accumulated sick leave. I'm telling y'all, get this decision and put it in there. Put it in all your denied or advanced sick leave. It's, it's gorgeous. For the reasons set forth above, I conclude that there was no substantial factual basis for the denial of the grievance advanced sick leave request and that the denial was therefore arbitrary. Eileen Cincy, C26893, 26893, get it, gorgeous. The last one is one that Pete Moss did in Nashville, and this was one that when I was formal step A is uh, one of my last ones and um, before the shit show happened. But, uh, and, the, the re- and this one really isn't anything special, but what happened in this one was in the hearing, Pete asked the manager, they were saying, and I'll read it to you, but Pete asked the manager in the, the station manager in the hearing, you're afraid that she will, that the grievance will not come back to work. And therefore you denied the, the request for advanced sick leave. Yes. He said, now, if you had approved the advancement of sick leave and you gave it to her, And she did not accrue it. She did not work long enough. She quits. She just retires after she used it and therefore had a negative sick leave balance. Could you, could you issue a letter of demand? And those were contentions I sent up. I said, look, they're not out anything. They will never lose anything because if, if she returns to duty and you advance her these hours, And she only works part of the time. She uses all of it up and she quits right after she uses the leave. Can you then issue a letter of demand to recoup the losses of that? And they have to say, yes, we would issue a letter of demand just like it would be for annual leave. We would issue a letter of demand to recoup the losses of that. You use sick leave that you didn't have. You still owe us. 70 hours of sick leave that you, you know how they're going to get that back? A letter of demand. Egan's going to give them a letter of demand. You need to pay that. And they will take that out of your final check. All right? So you're not, you have never lost anything. You're, you're no, there's no risk is what we said. And Pete asked her that in the hearing, the manager. So if they quit after they use the leave, don't pay it back. We, we still get it back in the form of letter of demand. Yes, we would. So what was the what was the reasoning for the denial? So that was a very good argument that they that uh, Pete brought forward there in the arbitration, and of course the arbitrator didn't say anything about it. But uh, but this is C two nine eight one five. It's arbitrator Bayhackle two nine eight one five, and this uh, happened on April sixteenth of eleven. And this is what she says. Manner contends that the language of ELM section 513.511 is permissive in nature and that it may, but is not required to, grant advanced sick leave. Management argues that the grievant had been overheard saying that she wanted to retire and that management made a business decision based on those remarks and the fact that the grievant was eligible for retirement to deny the leave. Advanced sick leave under section 513.511 may be advanced in cases of an employee's serious disability or illness, or if there is reason to believe the employee may return to duty. In this situation, there appears to be no dispute that the grievance broken hip 
met the requirement in ELM Section 513.511 for a serious disability. The testimony showed that the grievance submitted medical documentation with her advance leave request and that these documents were forwarded to the postmaster's office by the station manager. The grievance received no reply in regard to her request on May 31, 2011. Submitted to Form 3971 for 184 hours of sick leave. On that date, Station Manager McDonough called the Postmaster's office and was told that the grievance request had been denied. No reason was ever given to the grievance as to why her request was turned down. An additional 3971 was submitted on June 2, 2011 for 24 hours of sick leave. When the matter progressed through the grievance process, only reasons ever given for the denial was set out by the formal Step A management representative in his Step A answer. That reason was that the grievance had made previous statements that she wanted to retire. Therefore, management did not feel the grievance would return to work long enough to repay the advance leave. The testimony at the hearing showed that the postmaster overheard the grievance make statements to other employees about retirement, but she still assisted the grievance when she submitted her request for advance sick leave. The testimony also showed that it was not the station manager's decision as to whether the advance sick leave would be granted, that in Nashville that decision is made in the postmaster's office. The grievant testified that she had made statements to other employees that she was eligible for retirement and that her family wanted her to retire, but the grievant denied ever stating that she had, made, had any current plans to retire. The grievant testified that she cannot really afford to retire right now and that she loves her job and plans on continuing to work. The language of ELM clearly is discretionary in that it states that advanced sick leave may be advanced as opposed to will be advanced if there is a reason to believe the employee will return to duty. The question is then whether the union can show that management exercises its discretion in an arbitrary manner in its denial of the grievance request. While the grievant had no available sick leave at the time of her request for advanced sick leave, Management never contended that the grievant had abused her sick leave over the years as a basis for the denial of her request. The testimony showed the grievant had several medical situations arise over the years where she had taken sick leave for large blocks of time, including two months in 2010 when she had a severe lung infection and several weeks for family-related issues during that same year. Up until she broke her hip in 2011, the grievant had always had sufficient sick leave to cover her absences. That leaves the question of whether it was reasonable for management to believe that the grievance would not return to duty and would not be able to repay the advance leave. The grievance letter of April 26, 2011, requesting advance sick leave, which was sent to Postmaster Vale, stated that the grievance was looking forward to coming back to work. The grievance had not approached management without retiring or the steps involved in such a move. There are many factors that go into the decision to retire, and each employee must carefully weigh those factors before making a decision. The grievant testified that she enjoys her job and cannot afford to retire at this time, nor does she have any current plans to retire. The fact that the grievant was eligible for retirement does not mean that she would actually take retirement. There are many employees within the Postal Service with more years of service than the grievant who are still active and involved employees. Here the evidence indicated that management based its decision to deny the request for advance leave solely on general conversations overheard by the station manager where the grievance and other employees were discussing retirement. It is my determination that overheard conversations of a general nature without other more direct supporting evidence indicating the grievance intent to retire did not constitute a sound reason for denying the grievance request. 
And so there you have it. Uh, those are very good sites for you if you're dealing with uh, management's denial of a request for advanced sick leave. All right. So uh, I believe that that will definitely help you. It has your issue. You'll have your remedies in there. Uh, I'll have those up. Jeremy put those up for you on from arbitration.com. And so uh, I believe that that will, I believe that will help you at informal and formal. All right. And even advocates, if you're looking for good sites for a management's denial of our advanced sick leave request, uh, that'll help you out. So that end, that individual, hopefully you're listening, <laughs> that put that up on social media. I just gave you about an hour and a half of uh, of, advanced, of the denial of advanced sick leave. So uh, hopefully that helped you out. And so that's going to do it for this episode. That was a long one. Doggone two hours. Mercy. Uh, but had a lot of things in there. Uh, kind of another salted peanuts with a with a, a, a little bit extended salted peanut on a, on a, the denial of advanced sick leave. All right. So I think those things will help you out. I want to say, give a shout out to the Labor Radio Podcast Network. The Labor Radio Podcast Network um, contacted me uh, last week. And uh, they have put all my episodes up on there. And that's kind of a nationwide um, podcast network for labor organizations. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, He had some very complimentary things to say. And I was like, you sure you want to put me on there? I get kind of wild. And he said, no. He said, we're loving the passion. So that's good. So uh, I appreciate you, sir, for reaching out to me. Um, So if y'all want to listen to other labor podcasts, podcast networks there's your one right there so thank you to that gentleman for including from eight arbitration um you have to make sure it's it's rated ma on your thing all right brother <laughs> i don't want to run any of your listeners off a lot of good things happening with from eight arbitration there really are um even with even with the people who aren't happy that i'm doing it uh, as of today we have um 153,007 downloads, 153,007 downloads as of today. So 153,000 downloads of episodes uh, on from eight arbitration. And that is absolutely killer. You know, that's great stuff. So people can be as angry as they want to. I don't care. Um, we're going to educate our people. All right. If nobody else will, we will. All right. Uh, next week, I'm probably going to have Mr. Carafone and uh, maybe, or JB on, maybe, or I'm going to do the letter carrier paragraph. But if Mr. Carif calls and says he wants to be on, then he's going to be on, all right, because he's going to talk about uh, going into interest arbitration, collective bargaining. And so we'll do that, all right? So we'll, we'll see. We'll see who's on next week, all right? Um, make sure you get on from 8 Arbitration to Facebook page. And talk to Miss Lindsay. She does a fantastic job there. Uh, from 8arbitration.com. Uh, Jeremy is also sick. He's extremely sick. And so it may take him a little while to get these things up. He's forgiven. All right. So y'all be thinking about my man, Jeremy. He does a fantastic job, but he is really, really sick. And so uh, thinking about you, my brother. And uh, Discord, make sure you get on there. That thing is buzzing right now. It's, it's getting a lot of people on that. If you go to from8arbitration.com, it'll have the link to Discord and also to Reddit. Uh, 
Reddit's really booming right now. A lot of great things going on on those two things. So a lot of people want to be educated a lot. And that shows you 153 downloads. Uh, look, they're not getting, they're not listening to these things to hear Corey Walton's voice. I hate my voice. Um, they're not, they're not downloading things to listen to Corey Walton's voice. All right. They're downloading those things because they want to be educated on the workroom floor about situations that are happening on a workroom floor. They're wanting help. They're wanting protection. They're wanting to be educated, right? Uh, I had a discussion with a friend of mine about uh, people down my business agents. I was telling people, don't talk to me. Uh, I would never be that egotistical, pompous, or narcissistic to ever tell anybody, don't talk to somebody else. I would never be that pompous of an ass or that conceited to ever tell somebody, don't speak to somebody else. Matter of fact, when we first started this thing, I said, get you a core group of about five or six and run things around together. You know why? Because we don't all know everything. I don't know everything. I've told you a million times I'm not an expert at anything. I've dealt with things before. I'm not an expert. So don't only listen to me. Please go to other people and look for other things, for more guidance, more that there are people much brighter than I am on Article 16, on Article 8, on all these things. Uh, so get your core group. I would never be that narcissistic to say, listen to Corey Walton only and don't get any help from anywhere else. That is a pompous fool that does that. Okay. And so if anybody's telling you, don't go anywhere else but here, if that person's telling you that, they're a pompous, egotistical idiot. Okay. Go wherever you can to get as much knowledge as you can. All right. The only way we're going to defeat this monster that is management is knowledge. It is power. Okay. So there's another little rant about a 30 second rant right there for you. Um, but it just pisses me off that people get so upset about wanting to educate. Okay. It does. So with that, <laughs> mercy, I hope this hasn't sounded terrible. I am fucked up. I'm, I'm highly medicated. And uh, I have been coughing this entire time. Y'all won't hear any of them. But it's two hours y'all are going to hear. I bet I'll cut out about 15 minutes of coughing. <laughs> so I hope it's come across all right. We're fixing to find out when I edit it. But I have been I have been severely under the weather. And so, uh, but uh, I think we handled it all right. So there's your little kind of salted peanuts type edition for you with an emphasis on the denial of advanced sick leave request. So hopefully that's helped you out. There's a lot of things on social media that I saw. So I addressed some of those things. We'll do this again. Y'all have a fantastic week. And uh, I'll talk to you next Sunday. All right.